everybody hi what's happening another it seems like every wednesday squeezer it's just like nothing happens in the world trying to except our show where it's it's just us thunder yeah right it's three wednesdays in a row where just literally nothing happened but the show so you're welcome for the show Um, a few things to get off the table quickly. Uh, for those of you who hate my bad impressions, uh, um, I've, there's been some requests, so just fast forward a, like a two minutes. I'll get them out of my system really quickly. Um, they brought up, uh, remember this time last year when you and I trekked, it was about a month from, from now, uh, you and I packed up our stuff, and no, no, it was about this time last year. We went up to uh, um, Toy Toy Fair, New York, Squeezer. Oh yeah, that that was a year ago. Yeah. Oh my God, I see the. I'm finally catching up. Yeah. Well, we interviewed this nice <laughs> gentleman are. from Weta, um, did Weta Creations, Weta Workshop, and spoiler: if you don't want to know anything about. Uh, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, just skip ahead again if you don't hear my pressures. He revealed that they're making a giant mold of a proton pack with a bunch of miniature Stay Puft Man tearing it apart. And at the mm-hmm. time, I was like, Are you sure you can say this? Are you, like, are you allowed to say this? He's like, Yeah, why not? Why not, mate? Crocky. Dingo. Well, that's Australian. He's like, Anyway, you know, it's, it's going to be a pretty cool item. And uh, why not just go ahead and, and put it on the internet? So I went and put it on the internet, and then Sony Pictures came calling, and then Weta, Sony Pictures was like, "Shit, he's really not breaking any copyright rules. There's we have no legal recourse to keep take him down." Mm-hmm. So Weta came begging, and they're like, "Please take it down. Please take it down. Please take it down. We'll send you stuff that you can send to your people, which they never did. But I don't care." No, uh, I'm like, yeah, well, all right. As long as homeboy doesn't get in trouble for it, he was just excited to talk about it. So, and um, so you're breaking the news that they recently found him in the Hudson River. No, no, they were joking about it. And the, if there's a there's a secret, super secret for super fans only, but any of you could get in if you know who to talk <laughs> to. A, a Instagram group chat. And they were making picking on old RK, uh, like it, one, people are known to do, saying that they want to hear an impression of Trump pardoning the Radiers for getting this poor man fired from Weta <laughs> Workshop and pissing Sony off. So I'm going to do my best, bad Trump. Everybody, I signed an executive order, a really good order, a beautiful order. One of my last beautiful big orders in office, the Radiers podcast a lot of people tell me it's okay i don't know they never mentioned me i don't know so it can't be that great we're gonna give a full pardon the little squeeze ball and rk whoever that is (laughs) my voice you gotta get really god i lost it (laughs) (laughs) and then uh enchantress chimed in like i also have to do joe exotic pissed that trump didn't 
He apparently he was waiting with the limousine, hair and makeup, ready for him. No, really. Yeah, to get released from prison. That they were that confident. Why didn't he? I know. Out of all the people, Trump pardoned. Why not pardon the Tiger King? Uh, so here's the Tiger King's response to motherfucking goddamn Donald motherfucking Trump. That fucking giant orange pussy in Washington, D.C. didn't even have the decency to pardon the innocent Tiger King for all he was doing was trying to expose that bitch, Carol fucking Baskin, that fucking bitch from her naughty shit. I never touched these goddamn animals and tigers. I just fucking showed them off to the goddamn public. So fuck you, Donald Trump. I bet you fucking watch porno with small dicks, you fucking non-fuck. Feel good? It's been a while. Yeah, yeah. Remember when that was the biggest thing? Uh, Tiger King? Yeah. Yeah, no, it was a monster. Yeah, he was. He was. He owned the uh, world. And then studios were clamoring for it. They had Nicolas Cage on board, and there's going to be a movie, and I'm sure that's still going through. Um. They even tried to like do another episode with everybody. Yeah, that was rough. With everybody but the Tiger King, and no one wanted to see anybody but the Tiger King. They didn't want to see this it, it, toothless guy now with made, fake teeth. Yeah, it almost made season four of Arrested Development watchable. Yeah, almost. Almost. Um, I do love the, the best thing that come out of today. Of course, is the Bernie memes. Well, that's what and that's just, what started it. I was it. just catching up on. Yeah, I I was at work. I was in the truck. I didn't have reception. Uh, the ones with us, I, I saw a whole bunch of the other ones, but the ones with us at RetroCon, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you with the Weta guy, of course. Bernie I was even like, I am actually. I really think the people need to know about this proton backpack or whatever it is covered by these marshmallow people who are destroying it. <laughs> the people have a right to know. That's my bad, Bernie Sanders. I want to. I'm gonna get this one framed. Um. But yeah, what a what a day! What a day! Yeah. Uh, speaking of my bad impressions, we've had a few. This is the time of the show where I read our reviews. Are you ready, Squeezer? Yay! It's so been a few you weeks. told me about this, and I said, "Wait, I'm not gonna read it. I want to hear this one because this is apparently is this one actually gonna hurt my feelings? Eh, hey, more mine." <laughs> Oh okay. Oh, and yeah. all right, fine. Yeah, it comes more after me. as as these reviews tend to do. They come, they take shots at me. Oh. Oh, we got another good review. So we have three reviews to read, and another one's good. All right, see all. Okay. Um. Okay, so we'll start with. So we start with the bad, or start with the good. Bad news uh, first. Start with the. How many are there? There's three. three. Yeah. Go good, bad, good. All right. Here's a quick good one uh, from Calamity Wayne. He writes, rad stuff. Love this pod. More RK's dad impressions, please. Do a whole show as him. Not kidding. Oh, let's see. If we're doing a whole show of Jeffrey, uh, we'll have to talk about ham radios, uh, uh, Eddie Murphy movies, uh, Sandra Bullock. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Going to Coles to buy Dockers. 
Uh, that would be so. That thank you, Calamity Wayne. You're awesome. Here's a, a bad one. Uh, here's someone who, who doesn't really like me. Uh, he's it's eating in is the username, and he writes used to be fun. He still gives us three out of five stars. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. Yeah, this was a fun podcast for a long time, but they're clearly out of ideas. No shit. <laughs> <laughs> we just did. We did a. Uh... Was it like TV theme songs three, not realizing it was actually four? No, so. it was two, not realize it was, it was two, not realizing it was actually two. It oh. was one, not realizing it was two. It so was two. don't <laughs> exaggerate our incompetent squeezer. We do it bad enough without that. Fair enough. COVID lock COVID lockdown has hit them particularly hard, and they've gone from endearing endearingly rambling to completely unfocused. Were we ever focused? No. no, I don't think so. On top of that, near constant impressions, aka yelling into the mic, parentheses, dude, stop behave, stop believing the people that tell you they're good. I don't believe them. <laughs> I've taken, <laughs> but they like them. I don't care. Then no one says they're good. They say they like them, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And no one once said, "Oh, your impression's pretty good." Like that's funny, moron. Keep doing it. Yeah, it's like it's like my list tonight. It, no one said they were good, but Wait, I like that. It's not a year. No, no, like my picks. Oh, oh, your list. Okay, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, my list. Yeah, well, oh, oh, you know, yeah. that too, yeah. No one likes that, but yeah. I just do it because it's shtick. Right. Uh, so yelling into the mic have taken over, finally causing me to unsubscribe. Enjoy the episodes pre-2020, then move on. Well, you know, we're going to lose all that money. We're not getting paid when you unsubscribe. Fuck. That zero point zero dollars you paid to subscribe <laughs> is gone. Squeezer, how are you gonna feed your kids? Uh, I don't. I mean, th- that's we, the trick. We do this podcast. Um, yeah, exactly, Joe. No one ever said they were good. Thank you. I never said they were good. But we we do this podcast for free with zero ads and um, almost pretty much every week. Sometimes more than every week. Uh, we did it every day during the goddamn pandemic. So telling me we were out of ideas from the pandemic and it hit us hard. Go fuck yourself. Sorry, I'm getting angry. <laughs> this one made you angry. Well, I mean, we were doing a show every fucking day. So fuck you, eating in. Don't listen to the fucking show. I'm glad you're unsubscribed. <laughs> I, if I have merch, I usually give it away for fucking free. But uh, he's doing too many impressions. I don't like. And that's the... I would honestly feel guilty if one we either charged people or two made people listen to commercials. Right, right. Like I, I would, I couldn't sleep at night or live with myself knowing that we made money off of this show. Yeah, paid uh, uh, Sony Music. I thought they're calling, they're emailing to sue me, and instead they wanted to pay me to promote. I don't even, I don't even know if this '90s music podcast came out. Um, 90s music podcast. Seltzer here. Ugh. Not even, not even beer for the show? Grapefruit. Nope. I had to move cheat night to Saturday. It's, I'm being a good boy tonight. But didn't you have, uh, Primo? Yeah. I was cheat night for beer. Yeah, yeah. Look, I eat like shit during the day. (laughs) (laughs) But, 
Yeah, go listen to fucking Rogan on Pandora, wherever the fuck he is. Sorry. Hey, I, I'm not usually that him? angry. Towards me? All right. No, no, not you, sweet. You're a sweet boy. Oh, You're a sweet we boy. We have a show to do. Yeah, we have a show to do. That uh, The guy with... Uh, we have one more review that's oh. good, so hold on. Let me... All right. I was I got lost trying to find that 90s. So, yeah, Sony tried to pay us a, a like, surmountable sum just to, prom- to promote their new show. And I was like, no, no. Not selling out. No, cause well, it's not even. There's paperwork. Yeah, and I would have to. Then do you got to file taxes. <laughs> right, I don't want to do that, and you're not going to do it. So no. <laughs> I mean, fuck. I got I'd enough have, of a headache doing my own. I'd have to cut you some sort of salary or something. Yep. Mm. Or you can just ten ninety nine me. Mm. So anyway, Mike Stewart, the man, Mike Stewart seventy two, wrote a good Stewart. He is. Uh, an awesome guy, and he's got pins in the mail, and it wasn't bribery at all. He did this out of love. Nostalgia Flashback is his title. Been a listener for three years, and the guys are still a joy to listen to. I'm 48 years old, and it's such a trip down memory lane and a memory jogger for the things I've forgotten about. Give it a listen, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it as much as I do. Eat shit. Eating in. (laughs) (laughs) So bad. Passion's still there. Uh, but uh, to to be fair, that D D Stromang hasn't shot back with a new interview in a while. His old one that says "just sleep together and get it over with." The amount of times you call each other handsome, adorable, and sweet, he's he's still. <laughs> These are terms of endearment. <laughs> Stuart West's bed is that Beavis and Butthead we're talking here. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're a sweet boy and you're very handsome. So I don't want to fucking hear it. Yeah, very handsome. Uh, I haven't aggregated any news. Do you know anything that's going on? Uh, possibly a return to Batman animated series. Oh yeah, I did see that on HBO Max. I did see that. Uh, what else? I don't know. I spent a lot of time the last couple of days digging through and digging up numbers on this stuff. I actually came prepared tonight. Well, yeah. I come prepared every night. I just usually I, I've got, meander off the, my my path. I've got some. I've been trying to like actual site like books written on topics mm-hmm. to bring that to the table. Um, well, if I can, if I can, if I can, I can't. But I was able yeah. to to cite a few uh, uh, more books and newspapers.com, amongst other things. You know, things that you just can't go and scour up on the internet. I will scour other places for you, the people. Yeah. So you don't have to. I like books. I like the, like, kind of like, like you say. You, you like the you idea like, of them. You just don't want to read them. I like them. the idea of them. Yeah. Yes. Like, you, it's, uh, books to me are like you and candy, you know? <laughs> you like the idea of it. Um, I do yeah. like the idea. Do you like our my little box office bombs graphic? I did. I, I was going to comment. They're adorable. <laughs> Very good. So that's good, that is uh, the topic of today's show: box office bombs, movies, and that that aren't that. This has nothing to do with whether they were good movies or not. This is they just, usually aren't. Well, that's debatable for some of these. Yeah, I would argue. Um, my list in particular, mm-hmm. <clears throat> these are bombs. Outright flops. Uh, only I think one of my movies ended up making its budget back, but it took forty-five, like forty years. 
uh, and, and barely. Its sequel will never make its money back. Um, but these are movies I either uh, I appreciate to an extent, enjoyed as a kid, and just let it go. One that was just, well, I had to pick that because it was such a disaster. And then my favorite movie, number one of all time, is on this list. My number one, Uno, Uno, mm. Uno. Get it out. Numero you know, Uno. Numero Uno. There thank you, you. Wow. Whew. Sometimes the brain just stops. Did that happen when, when J-Lo broke into Spanish today? <laughs> Did that break your brain? <laughs> Yeah, what was I, I was like warming something up in the microwave, and I thought it was beeping at me. Like, oh. I, I think it was. I think it was weirder that she sang a line from one of her songs. After that, and read the Spanish was fine. I don't know what she said because it was way yeah. too fast for my. Well, brain. That, that was the only thing that occurred to me. I was like, uh, "That's cool, but what did? What was that?" And then she just said, "She she like said a line from one of her songs, one of the Pitbull songs, and wow. then and then finished it, <laughs> finished the actual song." Oh, I didn't. I didn't watch on actual like Network Fox. Did Network Fox was it hosted by Pitbull? I do no. I didn't watch Network Fox. Oh, okay. Uh, when I um, saw today, then what's the? It was on uh, CNN, I believe. Uh, there was the same feed on every channel. It was just and what a disaster that feed was. Oh, Ooh. did the one bump to break the whip panel? Oh, it was like they man. had to I use. Was... That shot. That was some bad TV. Yeah. Woo. Yeah, they couldn't get their. Uh, they couldn't that get their. I'm sure it was that one. Yeah. Well, they had that nice jib, and I rarely see jib shots. Yeah. yeah. They were well. In our experience, they were probably just you know, telling you know shit jokes and you know, talking about one of their coworkers that you know went to a clinic to. Do something into a cup the entire time. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's what was going on in that headset chatter. So, mm. I uh, when the Lady Gaga came out to sing the national anthem, Enchantress commented that she looked like she was from the Hunger Games, and I didn't know what she was talking about. And then I saw it posted on a, a thing, and they put it next to the picture of the girl from the Hunger mm-hmm. Games with the big bird on her chest. I was like, oh shit, it yeah. does. Yeah. Is that what she was going for? Uh, maybe. I think it was a dove. Like a piece of, but mm. I heard the same thing too. She looked very nervous, which is crazy for. I thought she, I thought she killed it. She did, of course, she killed it, but she yeah. looks so yeah. nervous. Yeah, like it's awkward. Like I, I thought Jennifer Lopez did a fantastic job too. And Garth Brooks is out there hugging and kissing everyone. We're like, dude, yeah, you fucking hillbilly! God damn it! They just don't know any better. <laughs> He should have come out as uh, uh, what the hell is his name? Oh, the the, his alter album? ego. I have no. Clue. His alter ego. <laughs> he should have come out that the, the blonde tips and the yeah. Goatee. His alter ego kind of looks like Joe Exotic. Yeah, that's Mr. pretty fucking president. On, maybe maybe he's he's going for the role when they make that Joe Exotic movie. Nicolas Cage will get the big blockbuster one, but Garth Brooks will play Joe Exotic in the made-for-TV version. That releases alongside it at the same time, or the miniseries. Uh, N- Nick Cage is going to take the role of the tiger instead. <laughs> I'm the tiger. I'm the tiger. I'm the tiger. That's all his research watching Wizard of Oz, even though it was a lion. God damn it! Uh, I can see, yeah, him really getting into it. 
You could you picture Joe Exotic at the at the swearing in ceremony? He going up to to Bonnet. Mr. President, I think you look very handsome today, but what the fuck you having a fucking woman as your goddamn vice president? You should have got a fucking handsome goddamn man. You know, someone that likes porn with the big cocks in them. You know what I mean, Mr. President? <laughs> I just don't picture Joe Exotic, the kind of person who likes women, especially Carol fucking Baskin. <laughs> well, um, sh- there's so just before we start, mm-hmm. there's a little bit. Now, if you're like that movie... Uh, this website said that it made money. Now, studios, believe it or not, uh, don't release their books to the public. (laughs) They often lie. So these are projected budgets. The projected Mm -hmm. budget is money they use to put in production of the film. Sometimes you have to tack on double that or triple that to account for uh, international and domestic marketing. So when I say a movie made... uh, 38 million on a 37 million dollar budget they probably spent 130 million dollars on that movie and they will inflate those costs to make sure that um no you're thinking of something different this is if it's a true bomb it's a true there's a true bomb that like even even avengers infinity war uh lost money (laughs) yes well yeah they don't have they don't have to pay on the back end. They don't have to pay net points. Yes. Yeah. Gross points you get paid if you're if you're tied in, but they'll never pay any net points. Yes. But I'm talking about like true losses. Like like some of my movies, I will say, with a thirty seven million dollar budget made thirty eight million dollars. And you're like, well that's not really a bomb. I'm losing a million bucks. Yeah, but no. What you gotta take into account is probably a hundred plus million dollars spent on marketing for each of these movies. So when it doesn't make that much back they are taking a bath (laughs) Mm -hmm. like a big fucking bath yeah and you don't just make a movie either to just make the movie and break even you make the movie to make money right and some movies like some of those those uh um like uh like an ant-man will make you make like a 50 million dollars profit you know, when you count in marketing, but then all the merchandising and tie-ins and everything. Merchandising. That, right. There's there's money yeah. to be made there. But, like, to just take that into account when we talk about these bombs. And for that matter, I am going first this week, since you went first last week with Cousin Balky. Okay. And, okay, and uh, Joe, sorry. No, I'm Unless he's on your list. Is that Snickerdoodle? Oh, hi, Snickerdoodle. I think that's her from... Oh, she's up on the banister. Hi, Doodle. Oh. <laughs> she just she goes. The banister is right outside um, my office here, and it overlooks downstairs the living room, the great room. It goes up to the the ceiling. There's no second floor over that, so she'll just get up there and, and howl like an alley cat. <laughs> She's a weird one. Thank <laughs> you, Doodle. All right, here uh, my first pick for box office bombs that I love. Oop, I forgot I did this this last week and I didn't restart my computer. <laughs> All right, here it is. What's big and yellow and coming to a theater near you? There he is! It's Big Bird. Big Bird! Big Bird! Big yellow turkey. In his first movie ever. There's a 
So I believe we've talked about Follow That Bird before, right? Yeah, I I adore this movie. This was, like, as a kid, when you're, like, three, four years old, like, this was all I ever watched. Oh, yeah. Uh, if I mean, it, there's a lot of depressing 80s movies. This one's up there, though. Ooh, that, that the blue scene in the kid. Oh. Yeah, the me Skeevy Brothers, played by... Uh, one of the uh um by a, a couple of canadians it's there's a lot of second city people in this so um they uh they run a carnival where they they just pick on children and they kidnap big bird spray paint him blue or her blue him blue her blue her blue uh i believe big bird's a boy him blue um and then make him sing in a cage with uh to an audience um, about being the bluebird of happiness, but uh, there's a few scenes that I thought were funny. Uh, when Big Bird, so Big Bird, uh, and we're not trying to recap movies at all here. We're just talking about why there are bombs. Yeah, but, this isn't a MacGyver episode. Yeah, once one scene I wanted to point out was when Big Bird's flying to the dodos and he's on the plane. He's going la 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 la. la. <laughs> I was like, okay. That must have been Jake on his first flight, like last year. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's, I'm like, also, I think that's what master control operators do when they're sitting alone in their room. Oh yeah. So, this movie uh, came out August second, nineteen eighty five, and until I pulled up the newspaper, I might have, I might not have. But anyway, they um, it had pretty good a, a critical acclaim. They liked it. Uh, the critics liked it. And what's not to like? It's not a bad movie. I pretty much uh, um, could recite the whole movie. I've seen it so many times. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some classic scenes with uh, Frank Oz. And they actually made Frank Oz and Jim Henson fly in that plane to operate Bert and Ernie. In that singing mm-hmm. Upside Down, Upside mm-hmm. Down World. Um. It was a box office bomb. It opened the same day as Fright Night and Weird Science. Uh, it was competing with Back to the Future, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. Pee-Wee's Big Adventure came out the following week. The Black Cauldron, mm-hmm. National Lampoon's European Vacation. They also reissued Gremlins, Ghostbusters, and E.T. Extraterrestrial that summer. Ooh. Yeah. Well, at, at now, that is taking money out of parents' pockets. But even so, like, the age group you would take to see this... The truth is, it's just a pain in the ass to take little kids to a movie. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and it must be because no, uh, the uh, Elmo and Grouchland that came out in like the late '90s also mm-hmm. it was a giant financial ruin. Um, and that was fairly yeah, it was all right. I've seen it a thousand fucking times. This only grossed two million four hundred fifteen thousand on its opening weekend, but by the end of its Ooh. theatrical run. It grossed thirteen point nine million. Uh, it, it pretty it came close to bankrupting Children's Television Workshop financially. They they really took a hurting for this uh, during the nineteen eighties. It was distributed by Warner Brothers, and they shot it up in Vancouver. Um, 
because that's where they were filming Fraggle Rock and they had all those extra puppeteers up there. Uh, okay. So they, um, and it was really easy to shoot up there, obviously. So they mm-hmm. rebuilt Sesame Street set to be bigger and, and more uh, believable is the word I saw. It was directed by Ken Quapis. And if you recognize that name, he has a pretty big, he didn't really do anything film besides that Traveling Pants movie. But, uh, and this was like his first <laughs> movie out of, um, out of film school. And he told Henson he really didn't know how to direct uh, Muppets. And he's like, just direct the puppeteers like you would actors the same way, which I found interesting. I wouldn't even think of that. And uh, Ken Quapis was, he was one of the first directors on Freaks and Geeks with Judd Apatow. Uh, he's also oh. done The Office and a handful of other things. He's a big TV director. 1985, Bang Burn, the Dodos, Donnie and Marie, the two kids. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I never even got that. Oh, no? Yeah, well, I was was three. I thought it was so funny. I hated that fucking, that big bitch who kept trying to get him to go to another home. She made me so mad. Yeah, everyone hated her. Miss Finch. Oh, hi, Miss Finch. Miss Finch. I can't do a big bird. He's too joyful. <laughs> hey, bird. The scene where there you go. on a star, they're wishing on a star or whatever. Their their five scene where yeah. all the road yeah. groups. Like, that's another funny part of it. Uh, Oscar's car is his shitmobile. <laughs> uh, Cookie Monster basically eating the Volkswagen. And uh, the, the count. Oh, 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 the count counts through the credits. Oh, another great part of the movie. Not that we're going over movies. It's the beginning, the Grouch Anthem. It's like Patton, where you think you're going to stand for the National Anthem. Mm-hmm. But it's sit down for the Grouch Anthem. <laughs> I think that was actually played at the, the Air Force Base down in uh, D.C. this Stop. morning. <laughs> sit down for the Grouch Anthem. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been hysterical? <laughs> Everybody, please introduce my dear friend. He's going to do the Grouch Anthem for us. Oscar the Grouch. Dear friend. <laughs> I would have tuned in for that, to be honest. Have, have you have you watched this recently? Uh, no, not in a while. I'm curious as to how it kind of holds up. Because Sesame Street still is kind of timeless. And there's plenty of, like, like we'll I mean, watch Sesame Squeezer. Street and I will laugh my ass off I, there's absolutely no reason for me to have watched this recently however you i mean just out of out of curiosity right but i would expect you would have oh. watched it recently no we haven't watched fall that Bur- uh we watched the uh, yeah Grouchland, and uh there's a uh, one with the the what's her name from star trek voyager with the hot air balloon it's actually pretty amusing um but I don't know. Anytime you give me some Grover and Cookie Monster together, I'm... He's super Grover in this whole thing. Yeah. It doesn't get much better than that. You got Chevy Chase and John Candy. Uh, did Chevy Chase try to bang one of the... Muppets? Monsters? One of the Muppets? Oh, I'm sure he did. It was uh, yeah. it was like a news cameo where he threw to Kermit the Frog. Ah. Hey, Kermit the Frog. <laughs> Kermit the Frog was on site and... Oceanfront, Illinois, interviewing the Dodo family, and they said to go. They're like, "We're on TV. Let's go inside and watch." <laughs> yes. It's like when Newsmax comes to interview a family. 
Sorry, I'll stop. There's too many softballs lobbed at me in this one. But yes, nah. fo- follow that bird. Box office disaster. Um, Mr. Squeezer. Oh, fucking god damn it. Hold on. Your first pick. Language. <laughs> the captain just said language. Here's your first pick. The weapons of tomorrow on the streets today. One man must stand up for justice. We make our own kind of weapon to take out the ones in the streets. To stop the enemy without hurting them. With a heart of gold, a will of iron, time. and a body of steel. Ready, go! The bad cave, Shaquille O'Neal. Steel, rated PG-13. Starts Friday, August 15th at a theater. Near you. Yeah. Uh, Steel. 1997. Ah, sorry. The hell was that? This is me. Um, you you take a a DC character, um, and in perhaps a potentially groundbreaking role, especially for the time. Uh, you, you could have made this a real thing. Instead, uh, they didn't. Did you answer my questions when I asked you the other day? Is it set in About- Metropolis? It is completely the only uh, likeness to Steel and Superman and the DC universe is its name. His name is Steel. And that Batcave joke in the the trailer. Oh, there is a Batcave joke in the trailer, yeah. but that's about it. It's not even I mean, the guy who takes up the steel mantle after Superman. No, it is, Superman doesn't exist in this. This is a guy, a big guy uh, that wants to take back the streets from criminals that have sonic weapons because they couldn't have real weapons. They couldn't have laser cannons that atomize people's skulls like in the comic book um, because uh, they didn't. They wanted to target kids, so it couldn't be violent. Um, so they made them sonic weapons that just kind of knock things over. Uh, so Shaq's response is to make a custom steel outfit and the idea behind the outfit was, and why it looked so bad, was because they wanted to make it look like it was made on the streets. But they, they were didn't also, want it to look too good. Was did Shaq play John Henry Irons? Uh, yeah. So it was the same as the comic book. It's no. His name is John Henry Irons. Uh, the character's name is Steel. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Uh, and that's about it. There's no S yeah. on his on his thing, and you see his face on like John Henry and the. No, yes, it's not. It doesn't even look like steel. It actually looks more like iron. Does uh, he use a sledgehammer? Uh, there are some. I think just a sledgehammer. Uh, but there's also no cape, so he loses the cape. Hmm. Any any real semblance to Superman, like taking up the man, is gone. It's just gone yeah they uh and what's funny too is the whole idea was so quincy jones produced this you know like the music producer music producer like did he produce the soundtrack or the movie what's that did he produce the soundtrack or the movie Uh, both both Mm. um it, it was a quincy david salzman uh production they had 
they did Fresh Prince. They produced Fresh Prince, and they also produced, I think, the Emmys or the Oscars, mm-hmm. like one or two years. And they were in love with, or um, Quincy Jones was in love with this character with Steel. Um, so they decided to make a Steel movie. But then, you know, as it goes through the process, the script was tweaked and rewritten, and. Believe it or not, a bunch of executives had their grubby little fingers in this as well. <laughs> That's um, the case for a lot of these movies. Yeah. Uh, they brought on Kenneth Johnson to direct, who has a bit of experience doing superhero movies, or not movies, but shows. Uh, he was basically was the showrunner for the Incredible Hulk series, mm. for the Bionic Woman. He created the whole V series, mm. the Aliens, Alien Nation. So his credit role is insane um and then he directed short kinda... circuit too by the way what's that he directed short circuit too by the way oh really yeah short circuit too well that's on it short circuit too is definitely better than steel short circuit two is one of my favorite movies of all time of course it is because it's a sequel to short circuit oh short circuit um, is okay short circuit two is so much better so <laughs> johnny five and so, the city input how uh, uh, you're gonna get you got a big superhero movie now. It's the mid '90s, so it's not gonna be crazy yet. But how much do you think that they invested into into production costs? What's he? They had to give Shaq at least like a million or two bucks. Uh, well, the whole budget was sixteen million dollars. Oh, that's less than I was gonna say. And it shows. Now you would think, how did you make a box off? How does it bomb for only sixteen million bucks? That's a pretty good investment. Yeah, sixteen million was a lot back then. It was pre. Yeah, it was CG, so we weren't having yeah. two hundred million dollar pictures. But still, you'd think you can make back sixteen million dollars in nineteen ninety seven. You'd hope. Um, I mean, Terminator in nineteen ninety made thirty million in, in its weekend. Um, it made one point seven million. Ooh. Not, I'm not talking about, well, yeah, it made that pretty much the opening weekend, um, and then that was it. That, that's, it's gross. It made $1.7 million. That's it. Fortunately, that more than covered Shaq's cost, because Shaq, thinking that this was going to be a thing, I guess, and, you know, everyone's probably telling him, dude, he, this he, is going to blow up. He it's took back huge. end. He took it all on the back end. Shaq uh, made $200,000 on this film. Two hundred grand. The yeah. key grip probably got paid more than Shaq did on this film. It's opening um, week. It made, from August 15th to 17th, it made $870,000. So some respect, Squeezer. It dropped um, 78% next weekend, making $191,667. Yeah. Um, fortunately, Shaq, uh, he was nominated for an award for this. Razzie. Uh, a Razzie. He did not win, though, believe it or not. Well, 1995 was this? 1997. 97. Ooh, fuck. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know exactly who won it because maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, as they they were saying, no, is he an emotionless white guy? What's that? Is it an emotionless white guy? Yeah, well, this guy he he lost it to a multi-time Razzie winner across the board. In (laughs) fact, this guy swept the Razzies this year. Um, and also here's the other problem: ninety-seven was a massive 
year for blockbusters. And this movie had it also had well ninety it was ninety seven Titanic. Uh, Titanic was carrying over. It was still there. Um, I thought Titanic was released in ninety seven. Yeah, ninety seven was Titanic. Was it ninety seven and ninety eight? Ninety eight. But was yeah, it was. Over. Yeah, yeah. Um, this would actually go on to be the last DC movie, the nineteen ninety seven, the last DC movie until they made Catwoman, uh, seven years later. Mm, not true. Mm. Batman and Robin came out next year. No, I think they came out. Right before this, I'm correct. Batman and Robin came out in 1998. You sure? Are you, are you questioning me? <laughs> yeah, I am. Because even if I'm wrong, I'd be like, all right, well, at least I questioned Batman and Robin, oh, it was 97. Mm-hmm. I thought it was 98. Mm-hmm. June um, 20th, 1997. When of 97? June 20. The 20th month of 97? June? 20. Oh, June. Yeah, this came out in August. So, oh, yeah. well, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 don't question my research, sir. Okay, well, I did. I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, the, um, Kenneth Johnson, who directed it, he had actually had faith in this, and he still refers to it as his nice movie. Um, the thing is, he had a different vision, and one, it involved uh, slightly more money, which he didn't get, he also didn't want Shaq. He wanted Wesley Snipes. And they I don't said think anybody no. wanted the executives Shaq. wanted Shaq because people love Shaq. He's great. He can carry the whole film. And he's like, but he's not an actor. I need actors. So uh, they got the dad from Independence Day. Um, and... Oh, no, they got Judd Nelson. It's Judd Hirsch. Same thing. It's a Judd. Um, and it, it was... It wasn't good. Shaq was playing in the Olympics, so most of the time he was away when he got back. He memorized the whole script, but he still was, like, you know, a acting tree. Uh, it was a little stiff. Um, Wesley Snipes would go on to do his own superhero superhero series uh, of films that would prove to be a little more successful. Um, I believe that was called Blade. Uh, so good for him. Was there... Cause, uh, one was... One was uh, I don't... I think I saw Parts of Steel, but I couldn't tell you if I ever really did. Um, was there... Um, was there a Pepsi in Steel? Oh, that, I couldn't tell you. It's been so long since I saw it, and I only saw it, I only saw it like once. So, I'm but sure. I always remember seeing this commercial out. Yeah, I know. So they they, they ran this commercial, which means they, they lost back. they lost way more than, than yeah, is reported. They did, lo- they did lose a lot more. They cut back on on them plenty of other marketing, um, but the executives the the problem was the marketing department then wanted to market it to teens they're like oh yeah we got Shaq there's gonna be a superhero movie let's get the teenagers and the director Kenneth Johnson's going no 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 this is for a little kid this is a kids movie this is a family movie it's cheesy it's it's mushy like it's not going to get that audience and they insisted and there was this 
backlash and uh the, basically the entire department got wiped clean he and there he uh later after bill gerber who was the executive there got fired a year later he met with him and he's like why did you guys do this why'd you get shacked and he's like yeah sorry should have listened to you uh gerber and it's funny because we were talking about the golden parachute then he's like you're like no one gets fired they get a golden parachute it wasn't so much a golden parachute as it was a golden contract because he gets shit canned from warner brothers and then he would go on to um get a development deal pretty much with uh with warner brothers and do, he did that, uh, what was that movie with the guy and the guitar, or, oh, what the hell, a couple of years ago. The guy and the guitar? Yeah, that one. School of Rock? Birth of a Nation? No. Oh, Rock else. of Nations? Rock, no, no. A oh, Star is Born. Star is Born. Yeah, uh, that, uh, wait, oh, this is John Peters. Not no? Bill Gerber. Oh, Peter Gerber. No, Bill Gerber. Bill Gerber. Bill Gerber. Bill. He would go on. He 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 ended up getting a nice developmental deal with Warner Brothers. Uh, so the probably the best thing to happen to him. Well, is, John Peters, the guy I talk about all the time, he mm-hmm. uh, A Star Is Born was his. That mm-hmm. was he. He did the original with Barbara Streisand, and he he was back for this one. I mean, it makes sense that one idiot works with another idiot. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. John Cena, John Peters is definitely yeah. on that. Yep. But uh, yeah, I thought, also, I thought he, you were baiting me. To... Joanna Man. I thought you were baiting uh, me. Grant to... Torino. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So he's got a couple decent. Uh... I thought you were baiting me to sell my book. Hit and run. Oh, no. Please do. Please. It's been a while. We got to. I mean, hey, we got to get paid. It's not. Yeah. Yeah. It paid it. It's not my book, but it's a good book. It's called Hit and Run. It's about Peter Gruber and John Peters and how they basically fleeced Hollywood and then and, and the the poor Japanese with Sony Pictures buying Columbia. Uh, it's uh, on Amazon on Kindle. That's how I read it. It's pretty good read. But this John Peters life and then if you watch um the Death of Superman Returns, uh, it's a uh, documentary about the movie that Kevin Smith and Tim Burton were supposed to make about Superman, you get to see uh, this John Peters in real life. Peter Gruber, I think, now owns the Golden State Warriors. He's Hans Gruber's brother. Hans Gruber? Who the fuck is Hans Gruber? <laughs> it's technically Mc- Simon, but... McLean! <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so th- this movie should never have been... I think if they they would have done a better job marketing it towards kids, it might have had a better shot. That that's probably the the big thing. Like they just completely screwed up the. They didn't know what to do with it. Is really the I think the problem. Mm-hmm. And also you just threw Shaq in there. I mean, this is after Kazam too, and Kazam was a bomb. Mm-hmm. It's like people love Shaq, but they love Shaq for free. <laughs> they can turn on the TV and see basketball, that was... or they see him in commercials and he's endearing. But no one's gonna pay six dollars to go see Shaq not act. That was kind of the same uh, deal with the Sesame Street movie. They love Sesame Street, but they love it on public television. <laughs> yes, not paying to see this shit. If, if you only told them thirty years later, you got to get HBO. Right. Well, yeah, second runs in PBS, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They hand it down. Yeah. Um, 
All right, well, here is my next box office bomb. This one might surprise you if you don't know any better. Jim Henson, creator of The Muppets, and George Lucas, creator of Star Wars, take you on a dazzling adventure. There's nothing to be afraid of. Turn back, Sarah, before it's too late. She must be stopped. Labyrinth. PG. Starts Friday at a specially selected theater near you. Turn back, Sarah, before it's too late. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, girls' sexual awakening. Uh, girls? Maybe some, maybe some boys, too. And I'm not being hard on Jim Henson here with two Jim Henson pictures in a row. Because these are two great movies that just happened to bomb. Follow That Bird's a great movie. Labyrinth is a great movie. Ludo sad. <laughs> um, and the songs are great in this movie too. And David Bowie performs them all. David Bowie in a cop piece. I mean, what can go wrong? A lot did. It didn't sell. I don't know if people were just fed up with Muppet properties by 1986. This was just about a year after Follow That Bird. And, uh, New York Times reported that it had a budget of $25 million and uh, it only grossed $12.9 million during its U.S. theatrical run. $12.9 million off $25 million. Uh, it's said that the commercial failure demoralized Henson to the extent that his son Brian remembered the time of the film's release as one of the most diff difficult periods of his father's career. <laughs> it was the last feature film directed by Henson before he passed away in 1990 uh critics were mixed on this but you know critics don't know their fucking ass from their elbow most of the time most of the time yes uh labyrinth has since uh gone on with uh, i would say at least half if not more of the movies between the 10 of our picks have gone on to gather a cult following uh let me look other other than i would say other than my first pick which you now know, uh, has some level of cult following. Yeah, other than my last pick, which you don't know yet, all of mine Ooh, have a don't. cult following too. And then they make money off that cult following between theatrical runs and DVD and Blu-ray sales. Uh, that makes money. Uh, Labyrinth yeah. opened number eight in the U.S. box office chart, making $3.5 million from 1,141 theaters, which is not good at all. But it was behind. Look at what it was going against. Karate Kid Part 2, Back to School, Legal Eagles, Ruthless People, Running Scared, Top Gun, and in its third week, the number one movie was Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm -hmm. That juggernaut you could not stop. I pulled yeah. a newspaper clipping from our local paper, which showed... Jim Henson and oh George Lucas was involved in this too. And George Lucas have inspired one another. Um, a dazzling world of fantasy. It was playing at the Eric Allentown Five and the Eric Easton Six. Um, it was, this was in a time before a lot of our theaters that we know now were open. Like the Tillman Eight wasn't open. Squeezer. It was uh, My Little Pony. Yeah. The movie was also. 
also bombed and was airing oh. this week. Um, it was in the long line of um, the the Hasbro movies that would were come out. Oh, oh, that that's some recent news. There is going to be a My Little Pony Transformer crossover. Yeah, it's Optimus Prime. Yeah, there's a yeah. Ghostbusters and a Power Ranger one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's big in our house just because. Uh, Pony's pretty much a, I, uh, <clears throat> a thing now. I have the ghost. I ordered the Ghostbusters one. Mm-hmm. Um, and Short Circuit was in the theaters, the second run theaters. Uh, so if you wanted to go to, speaking of Short Circuit too, if you wanted to go to, let's say Shankweiler's that night, Squeezer, catch a drive-in picture uh-huh. here in town. You would see, oh, that's a Mahoning drive-in. You'd see Short Circuit, and the second movie was Jagged Edge. That was a Jagged Edge. Don't know. Is it perhaps a pornography movie? The Roxy in Northampton was showing The Money Pit. You have that picture hanging in your office. The yeah. Painting. Um, the Strand in Kutztown was showing The Money Pit and JoJo Dancer. Um, hold on, I got more for you here. More local flair for people who don't even know what the hell we're talking about. Oh, Shankweiler. <laughs> Shankweiler, yeah, this was tough. Because Shankweiler was playing uh, E.T. and Back to the Future. Two movies that... <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I'm not going to give two flying fucks about Labyrinth. I'm going to see E.T. and Back to the Future. So it... Nine o'clock and ten fifty. That's past my bedtime. Yeah, but this is a Friday night squeezer. That's hmm. a hell of a double feature. That is, that is fucking beast. I mean, and my my thought is like, you see a commercial for this, and you're gonna get people to go, "What the hell is that?" Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Same with and Dark like me, I, I like in and like in my house, like if even if I wanted to see that and like. If my dad were to take me to movies, we we wouldn't. We would go and see like, oh, there's gonna be a race car at this gas station. We're gonna go to that. But but to a movie, like it's like, all right, maybe we'll go see Top Gun, and then you'll be disappointed because most of the time they're talking to this chick. But at least there's a commercial with fighter jets. If he were to see this, he's like, what the hell? No, no, I'm not gonna go see that. Pretty much. So. Um, here's a little trek down memory lane for you, Squeezer. The Lehigh Valley Mall Ooh. Cinema uh, 8 was showing mm-hmm. Top Gun, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Legal Eagles, Short Circuit, Sylvester Stallone and Cobra, Space Camp, Cobra. and Karate Kid Part 2. It wasn't even showing this movie. That Remember there used to be a Ooh. thing where certain movies wouldn't play at certain theaters? Yeah. Uh, now, below it, it says Q100. Presents movies at midnight, Friday and Saturday. You want to hear this lineup? Oh. Remember the... When mid- is this, 86? 80, yeah, June 86. Mm-hmm. So, remember, the only place you used to be able to see midnight movies was the Leah Valley Mall Cinema. Yes. So, they were showing Pink Floyd's The Wall, Rocky Horror, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Repo Man, The Who in Tommy, Slumber Party Massacre, Last House on the Left... And Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Were they just like recruiting drug users? 
Oh man, that sounds like a good time. I know it sounds like a good time. If if that were, I would so go, maybe not. I I would go to Rocky Horror and sit in the back just to watch, but oh, that would be fantastic. I would go to any one of those. Yeah, me too. Pretty cool. Back in 1986 at our mall, that's now like a Bob's Discount Furniture. Across God, from our Toys R Us, which is now a flooring and tile store. Oh, yeah. that was that was my movie theater. I rode my bike there. Mine wasn't built yet, but we'd go if my parents took us to a movie. They'd take us there or Shankweilers, because there was nowhere or or the the Whitehall Mall one. Yeah, I, I wasn't allowed to go until there until later because if the cross, you know. Do you remember when busy. the Whitehall Mall one was called a uh, Bucko Squeezer? No. Yeah, it was called the was Bucko always... Bucko Plaza Two, in eighty five huh. and eighty six. No, well, no, I wouldn't have been. It's only three. Hmm. So. So that is it for my second pick. Here is Squeezer's second pick. Got a thing out there, and a horse. Ghost walks. Who was that guy? Somebody I already killed. Well, guess what? He's back. I'm not concerned with some jungle folk hero half a world away. Wow. Stop them. The only one who can. The Phantom. Rated PG. At theaters everywhere, June 7th. Theaters everywhere, June seventh. Mm-hmm. This uh, isn't how- Phantoms that Ben Affleck was the bomb in, right? This is no, the Phantom, no, this is, the serial. This is the yeah, the nineteen thirties guy in purple. Yeah. Uh, never saw and, this. I'm pretty sure the line you never saw it. No, it, it was on pay per view, and I would like catch pieces of it, but I never, I never. It wasn't enough. You had your own, you had, you had your own superheroes, you know. You well, didn't need this one, and that—that that was, I think, that and that was a big problem of it. Like you had, we had our own superheroes, like we had Batman and we had X Men, you know. Like it was, we were—they were already initiated. They were in our zeitgeist. Like my grandfather was so excited for this, and that's why I saw it because he showed it to me. Uh, and then I had it on VHS, and I'm gonna give credit where credits due. It's a nice movie. And I don't mean that in, a, in disregarding like, like it's not it, it doesn't come off as like epic it, and it's not Batman 89 or even Batman Returns or but it's definitely not Batman and Robin or Batman Forever. Um, there is a certain love with the material here that y- you just appreciate it and it, it's a period piece and um, Simon Wincher who directed it and Billy Zane who played uh, the Phantom, mm. were in love with the material. Good move, Billy and, Zane. And so Billy Zane fought for this. He wanted this. He trained for this. Was this and pre even, or post Titanic? Uh, before Titanic. Oh. Post. Uh, he was in. Was he in Zoolander before this? He was in. In what? I just remember he was in Zoolander post Titanic, and that's yeah. it. Zoolander. Uh, uh, he was in Tombstone. He he was like the hot up and comer. He was in Twin Peaks. And what? Twin Peaks. Oh, I forgot oh, he was in the Back to the Futures too. 
Yeah, yeah, he was uh, one of the Biff's guys. Yeah, we just when we were just watching it, we were watching Back to the Future two not too long ago, and Chanchers is like, "Is that Billy Zane?" I'm like, "Yeah, it is." <laughs> and and he is great in this. You and you, like all the mannerisms are there. Like he studied the comics, like and um, they really tried to get a feel for it. The problem is, in '96, I don't know if audiences were ready for that kind of superhero yet. Like almost if you were released this now, you might have a better shot because people will like just kind of soak up superheroes now. Um, and this was kind of there was no there's no groundwork for this. It was kind of just put out there. No one was clamoring for the Phantom, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, and the same thing, like, they released the Shadow around this time. And even Dick Tracy didn't get what it deserved, you know? Because it was these period pieces. And I don't, just don't think people were ready for it. And this is a comic that was 60 years old. Um, so, like I said, my grandfather was obsessed with it. And I, because of that, I appreciated it. I saw his love for it, and it is kind of campy in that way, um, but not campy in a bad way. Campy in like, whereas so back then, like you had to make a comic book movie, but you didn't. It couldn't be a comic book movie, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it couldn't feel like a comic book. It had to be grounded, and it had to be like dark, and you know, like n now, like you can almost you can make a comic book movie. I'm like, oh, it's a comic book movie. It's supposed to be fun and kind of poppy, and the colors are supposed to be bright. And you, you can have it upbeat, and it can be a little over the top. Back then, you couldn't. Um, but I still think its biggest problem was it just didn't have the, 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 the groundwork laid for it. Like, people didn't know what the hell this was. And, and I think that was a problem. It only... It, they spent forty-five million on it, production-wise. It only brought in seventeen point three. Um, Ooh, it was going up against. Uh, let's see, what was it? Uh, it was going up against The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. It, it was going up against Twister. Yo, best. It was going up against Mission Impossible. Losers always want about the best. Uh, and it debuted at the number six spot and only brought in five million on its, uh, opening weekend. Winners go home and fuck the prom queen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shame. I, I think it deserved more. I remember there was, so, there was plenty of marketing. So, you know, they lost even more money because I remember there was popcorn buckets and stuff like there was, there was stuff like in the theaters. Mm -hmm. It wasn't everywhere else, but we're like, Oh, let's just at least have it in the theaters. Cause people are going to movies. Maybe they'll want to see another movie. Um, they did have a toy line. Um, oh, yeah. kinda. Um, so I, I need you to follow with me. Just type in the phantom. Okay. Street players. That's it? Yep. And look at this action figure. <laughs> oh, boy. I remember seeing these. And we, these didn't... Did these... Wait. Admit, maybe I'm thinking of something else. Did these hit stores? Uh, Kinda. They are rare. They're, they're going on eBay for a bit of change. This is awful. 
Yeah, it's really bad. They only made uh, so they didn't even make a bad guy. They made the Phantom, and, the and Phantom you can on also a horse. buy the Phantom and his horse. <laughs> oh yeah, so because every th- little boy loves a horse toy. Okay, so I must have seen these at KB because all the pictures I see have KB uh, uh, price tags, tags on the- them. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the company and, that made them are also responsible for, like, the Princess Die doll and the Dennis Rodman doll. I had the Dennis Rodman wedding doll. Yep, that, still, they made I, that, too. I think I still have it. It's, yeah. worth, it's worth money. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this was definitely a, K, a liquidated KB. Every single picture you see of it has a KB tag on it. Yeah, so, but you can tell the, what, the what people behind this? it, backing it, didn't have the same passion as the production team. And what year did this movie come out? Uh, 96. So I started KB in 97, so it was probably some peg warmers hanging in there. Mm-hmm. I never saw yeah, the horse one, but I see the never picture. Saw it. It, it's good. It's good. It's a little campy. It, it could have been, I think they could have maybe developed it a bit more character-wise. They cut it a lot of the actual story down to just make it more action-y. Um, I don't know. I feel like it deserved better. I, I, I really do. Uh, it, it never got the cult a... following that like labyrinth and follow that bird got. No, it has a small yeah, following. But it's not. And only because the internet exists. Yeah. Like, like Rocky Horror had a cult following before the internet. And you could assume labyrinth would have developed a cult following without the internet. It took a a worldwide web to be able to connect enough people to create a community to want more of a Phantom movie. Hmm. There were talks about a remake coming up, like a new one, rebooting it with like Billy Zane being like the old Phantom and passing the mantle because that's how it worked. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I see that happening. I wouldn't complain. I'd check it out. It'd be cool. I just I think it's a and also there there are so many superheroes that actually have like superpowers. <laughs> he was he Not wore Batman. purple, rode a horse, and had a gun. That was two more things than Batman had. Uh, good point. <laughs> All right, here is my third pick. So yeah, I went kids movie, kids movie, and kids movie. What are you going to Vegas for? You gonna win? I'm gonna dance. United Artists presents the motion picture event that asks. How far would you go for a dream? You're going to be a big star. Come on, ladies! Bell your body! And what price would you pay? You're a stripper, don't you get it? I'm a dancer. It's not about fair, it's about power. From the creators of Basic Instinct. Showtime. Showgirls, rated NC-17. No children under 17 admitted. Starts Friday, September 22nd. The salacious NC-17. Oh. Uh, part of the '90s stripper movie craze. <laughs> One was good. I like show. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, striptease. Striptease got a good striptease. story behind it. Burt Reynolds is hysterical in it. Um, yeah, striptease isn't bad. Well, it's not good, but it's not bad. No. Uh, Showgirls. Yeah, it's not good. Apparently, the writer came up with the idea and got two million to do it. Uh, it was that was like a payment, like hey, develop this. That wasn't even the budget, and he got Paul Verhoeven, um, who 
did a lot of good movies. Like he was on RoboCop and uh, Basic Instinct and I think Total Recall. Yep. So he Mm -hmm. did a lot. And he was like, nah, but eventually he he figured he owed it to the writer to to do it. And he blames himself for ruining poor Elizabeth Berkeley's, allowing Elizabeth (laughs) Berkeley's career to be ruined. Uh, Because, yeah, she went from straight from Saved by the Bell to this movie, just straight showing all the goods. All the good and Kyle McLaughlin from Kyle McLaughlin from um, fuck we just said it, Twin Peaks, yeah, and uh, he was quote uh, gobsmacked. He said he was absolutely gobsmacked. I said this is horrible, horrible. (laughs) I I never I always that always confused me. I thought why is he in this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, why is he in this? Because he's not a bad actor. You know who loves this movie though. Quentin Tarantino. Of course he does. Because it's an exploitation film. So, of course, Tarantino likes it. He says, that's the thing in in the book, the 1998 book, Quentin Tarantino interviews. He applauds Showgirls' status as a mainstream exploitation film, saying, that's the thing that's great about Showgirls. I mean, great with a capital great. It's that only one other time in the last 20 years has a major studio made a full-on, gigantic, big-budget exploitation movie ex- uh, explained tarantino sure showgirls is the mandingo of the 90s <laughs> however tarantino did have one critique the only scene that didn't work for me at all was where elizabeth berkeley and kyle mclaughlin have sex in the pool but the scene where she lap dances on him that was a good scene man <laughs> yeah the pool sex one was so weird she kept going in it and was out of the water really weird that uh, yeah yeah so creepy yeah um, even at even at like like 15 i'm like eh, that's not how it works yeah no yeah right i was like i was like what is she doing well i wasn't sure that's how it works squeezer but i wasn't sure i was pretty sure that that was weird well just judging by you know the pictures i would slowly download you know off of the hun uh <laughs> just assume that that's not how it how it went yeah they were like the the, the thumbnail the the little <laughs> Clips that played for like four uh-huh. seconds of it. Yeah. You yep. had to download 30 of them to get a full scene. Yeah. Yeah. Starts and start splicing. It's like, oh man, I got 20 seconds. <laughs> so in 2015, do you know what the Hollywood Forever Cemetery is? Do I? The name says it all. It's a yeah. cemetery in Hollywood where stars are buried. <laughs> uh huh. And they do screenings of outdoor movies where you can get in line, and when you wait in line, your friend could put. Oh, ro- oh the actual cemetery. The Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Yeah. There's many cemeteries. This isn't like the cemetery of Hollywood, but it's one yeah. of them. Yeah, I know. I know. Okay, I I thought like you were talking like a uh, like a colloquialism of some kind or something. No, it's a real cemetery with where there's yeah. some stars b- buried there. And they they screen movies and do like yes, concerts I, sometimes. I've, yes, I've seen that. So not in person. But. There's certain people who wait in line, and their friends, when it opens, get on rollerblades and skate ahead with the blanket to get the best spot. Enchantress, that was Enchantress. <laughs> she would go see plenty of movies at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. Um, but in nineteen uh, two thousand fifteen, they did a twentieth anniversary, and Berkeley attended it. Uh, she spoke about the humiliation she felt when the film came out. 
and how painful the backlash was to her. Um, but she said that uh, she's found her own resiliency and power and confidence. And tonight, she wanted to thank everybody for giving me this gift of truly getting a full circle moment and experience, experiencing the joy with you. Um, there was, I think, uh, what's the craziest thing I read in all this? Uh, Charlize Theron was actually cast in that role, but dropped out. Yeesh. Yeah, I know, Good right? Move. Right. Seriously. Uh, they, they fought, um, for the NC-17 rating, I think. Uh, and it is, well, I'm about to reveal the numbers. It is the highest grossing NC-17 rated film of all time. Really? Oh yeah, it makes sense. I mean, right. Um, but uh, yeah, so let's go to notes here. It was released September twenty second, nineteen ninety five. The budget was forty five million, and they marketed the fuck out of this. So I bet it was at least yeah. two hundred million. It, How has that movie cost forty five million? That, that's I have no idea. I was blown away by that. I was blown away. Uh, it grossed thirty-seven million. That was like a si- forty-five million. That was more than fucking, like forty-five million. I-, I bet that was more than like. Hold on, Dark Hard with a Vengeance. That was probably like fifty. No, no way. That was fucking location stuff. Oh, 90 million. Shit. There are some big set pieces on that. Yeah. yeah. Still, that's half the Die Hard budget. <laughs> And Die Hard, blowing, they blew up a boat. That's true. They yeah, they blew up a city block. They did a lot of explosions in that. That's right. There was a lot yeah. of explosions. Yeah, but it made three hundred sixty-six million. So yeah, you know, a little not different. Not a bomb. Yeah, not a bomb. Um, so this. I was, mean, it was as long as you get the water jugs right, then it's not. Yeah, yeah, the water jug thing took me like twenty years to get that. And once I got it, I forgot it right away. Yeah, I have to I have to re-get the, the way they do it each time. So, um, it was given an NC-17 for nudity, erotic sexuality throughout, some graphic language, and sexual violence. Uh, it was the first, and to this date only, NC-17 rated film to be given a wide release in mainstream theaters. Uh, it was playing at the Eric in um, a locally squeezer. <clears throat> Did that become the universal one down there on 4th Street? Yeah, yeah. it was all, all UA movies were at uh, the Eric. Gotcha. So uh, Universal Artists dispatched several hundred staffers to theaters across North America playing showgirls to ensure that patrons would not sneak into the theater from other films and make sure film, film goers were over the age of 17. They didn't want any bad press. Uh, they think the audience restriction, coupled with poor reviews, resulted in the film becoming a bomb, grossing just $37 million. Well, yeah, you're cutting out your biggest audience. Yeah, well. Um, he, so. If Verho- they would have just let uh, some teenage boys, like, all right, look, it's NC-17. Let a couple 16- and 15-year-old boys slip in from time to time. Oh, they yeah. would have made their money They back. would have easily made their money. So Verhoeven deferred 70% of his salary 
and agreed to only receive the final 30% if the movie was financially successful to get an that to, to demanding an NC-17 cut. I mean, to be fair, it was probably the right move because if this was rated R, it probably would have made less. Yeah, well, maybe. Just for marketing purposes. You know, the NC-17 itself is a marketing tool. So, you know who tried out for the role of uh, Naomi Malone? Angelina Jolie, Pam Anderson, Vanessa Marcel, and Denise Richards. Jenny McCartney almost got the role. McCarthy. Huh, and they went with Elizabeth Berkley? Yeah, they, Drew Barrymore was also sought out, but she turned it down due to excessive nudity. Elizabeth hmm. Berkeley was huge at the time. Are you kidding me? That was the big selling point. Jesse from Saved by the Bell, naked. Yeah. Oh, and just in case any of you were wondering, there's only three ad libs in the movie. The rest was exactly on script. <laughs> oh. Mm-hmm. Ah, so they really didn't uh, try. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that is a bomb, but got a cult following because mainly it's uh, almost a Skinamax porn. All right, Mr. Squeezer. All right. Does this movie have a cult following at all? <sighs> yep, hold on. wrong keyboard. Oh, yep. yep. Los Angeles, 2019. There was an escape from the off-world colonies. They slaughtered... 20. The assignment? Track down six manufactured humans. He's the best man for the job. But he may die trying to prove it. Harrison Ford is the Blade Runner. The Blade Runner. Yeah. All right. First of all, I'm going to admit that commercial is very misleading makes the movie look very exciting mm -hmm. um it is not it is very slow it is very meticulous it can be very hard to follow um but it's absolutely gorgeous it's groundbreaking and it is my favorite movie of all time it's my number one it goes this then goodfellas aliens jurassic park i love this movie and I love its sequel. It's not for everyone, and I admit that. My thing is, I got a little hurt doing my research here. I made the mistake of reading down in the comments and then forums all about why Blade Runner bombed. And a lot of people just say it sucks, and they hate it. And that not only does it suck and that they hate it, but that's very pretentious. And the only reason that people like this or say they like it is so they come off as some hoity-toity, look at me, I like Blade Runner, I'm smarter than you. You know me. That is not me. I don't care. I like this movie because it's slow and drawn out and meticulous and exhausting and gorgeous. Mm -hmm. That's my thing. That's me. Just mm -hmm. minus the gorgeous part. But... um. Ah, where was I going with this? Why you thought. like it? Oh, yes. It's because they project themselves in that. So they watch their own pretentious movies and then push that on other people. I don't push this on people. If you like Blade Runner, I will talk all day about Blade Runner. Promise. 
I don't know anyone else that really likes Blade Runner, so I don't really get to talk much about Blade Runner. But I'm not going to push it on you. I'm not like a damn soccer fan. Right, where I have to tell you, hey, you know, soccer is the greatest game in the world. It's the most popular sport in the world. You have to watch it. I'm like, eh, no thanks. I tried. I watched a few games. Didn't really get into it, but thanks. No, no, you don't understand. you got to watch soccer. It's the greatest game. No, 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 I got you. I watched it. Don't like it. I'm moving on. And those people just, just can't let you go. I don't treat it that way. I look. I admit it's very niche. And that's why it bombed. It's exactly why it bombed. It's not made for everyone. It's not a mass uh, market film. And the problem was the same thing that happened with Blade Runner 29 is they pushed it like it was. And it never was. And the thing was, this movie... The problem is, it, it cost a ton of money to make. This movie cost $30 million in 1982. That's huge. I mean, to be fair, it still cost less in 1982 to make this than it did to make Showgirls. And they had to invent all the technology to do it. But still. Um, it still cost more than steel. Um, let's see. Box office wise, so it cost thirty million. It made six million at opening. By the time it was done, it still only made twenty-seven million. Now these are, you know, general production costs, and you know we admit there's more to be lost. Eventually, after remake and recut and uh, director's cut, final cut, eventually, yeah, it it made some money. Plus, it sold a ton of DVDs. It definitely has. A huge cult following. Um, and and I, I'd say almost beyond that, where it's now appreciated more for what it is, technically. And I admit, yeah, there's some shortcomings in the story, sure. But as far as, like, a technical achievement and just a beautiful film, I mean, it's in the, the what's that fancy place in D.C. where they keep movies? Yeah, uh, Hall, of, Hall of Fame or whatever. The Movie Hall of Fame in D.C. Um... Library of Congress. That's it. Library of they Congress. Just, yeah, they should just change the name to the, the Movie Hall of Fame. People will go. Yeah. Not the <laughs> National Film Registry. Yeah. Who wants to go to the National Film Registry? It makes it sound like it's just a bunch of microfiche the coolest, with the movies on it. The coolest thing I, I take from the Blade Runner movie is the fact that uh, it was shown to the entire crew... Uh, of Batman, oh not Batman, The Dark Knight by Chris Nolan. Before they mm -hmm. began shooting, he said, after he screened this movie for everybody, he said, this is exactly how we're going to make this movie. <laughs> nice. Made some money. You can see it. Yeah, yeah he made money. Yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, Batman. And people were really, th this movie tested horribly. Because people went in and it's like, oh, cool, the alien guy and Harrison Ford, you know, Han Solo are making a movie, Indiana Jones. And then they get this brooding movie where the hero basically should have been killed at the end, but the real hero of the movie is the bad guy that then dies. And then they made a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and then they made a sequel, which I absolutely adore and love. And now, and people complain that it was just a little too long. So what does that director do? He doubles down and says, I'm going to make Dune. Mm -hmm. So I can't wait for that. That's going to be fun too. Um, but yeah, it definitely like set the ball. Los Here's Angeles the other issue. Oh, whoa, whoa. Sorry. Ah. My other computer um, is playing itself today. 
it should have won, but it lost the Academy Award for visual effects. Why? What else came out in 1982? We talked about this movie earlier that got a re-release in 86. Uh, the, the, the E.T. Yeah, E.T. E.T. was a beast. I mean, this was and e. Spielberg won an at Oscar peak. for a, a re-release. What's that? It won an Oscar for a re-release. No, no. You talked earlier that during Labyrinth it got a re-release. Oh yeah, yeah. But what were you no, saying? It should have won. It won Academy Award for best uh uh for special effects for oh uh not visual e- not E.T. I disagree. I think Blade Runner for visual. Yeah, E.T. was. Impressive, but I think Blade Runner by far was Wait, as far so as visual te- effects go. I- I'm confused. Are you telling me ET won an Academy Award in 1986 for visual effects? No, 1982. Oh, well, what are you talking about then? What I'm saying is uh, ET fucked up both our movies because in '86 it fucked with Labyrinth, and '82 it fucked with Blade Runner. Oh, oh, it was '82, '82, duh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But in '82, ET uh, beat out Blade Runner. Uh, for the Academy Award for. Really? I don't know. I, yeah, E.T. E- beat up. I look at E.T. and it looks impressive, but uh, not nearly as much as... I mean, maybe it should have won for visual effects in the 90s when he decided to take the shotguns out and put radios in the guy's hands. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of impressive and uh, stupid, but... Um, him and uh, George were having coffee down in Maui. Yeah, I really think, Steve, you know, the movie's not done till you say it. That's, that's a bad Lucas, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, the general consensus was, and I was reading one review, and they're like, uh, when film noir and hard sci-fi meet, it isn't exactly something that's going to draw in audiences. And right there, you just n- nailed, like, two of my favorite genres. Like, my hard sci-fi, and I love some film noir. So, of course I love this movie. But just because I love this movie doesn't mean it's going to make money. Oh, well, you're right about that. <laughs> um, I can't wait till I get my PS5, and I can go get my 4K version, Blade Runner 2049. And, and it looks no look different. <laughs> hey. It'll look amazing. Sure. Okay. Um, moving on to my next box office bomb. If you thought Showgirls was sexual and salacious, this one blows it out of the water. <laughs> he didn't ask to come to this planet. It was an accident. Do you like to see what I see? He tried to make friends. Shoot to kill. To fit in with the crowd. I'm sorry, we don't allow pets on the premises. But this is obviously no place for an intelligent being. That's a duck, man. George Lucas presents Howard the Duck, a Willard Hike film, a Gloria Katz production, rated PG. Starts Friday, August 1st at select theaters. Gloria Katz. How do I... Why did I just look up Gloria Katz? I think she married... Gloria Katz. For some reason, in my... uh, She was married to... Oh, yeah. She was married to the director. And that's how... I was like, wait, how do I know that? (laughs) She was married to the director. She was a script doctor for Lucas. Her and her and uh, her husband, uh, uh, Willard Hook, 
uh, they worked on Star Wars, and George thought they were good enough to do this piece of shit, Howard the Duck, which I like. I, as a kid, I was obsessed with. It freaked me out, the movie. But this was the picture I was talking about that had a $37 million budget. It said 30 to $37 million, which means they dumped 50 to 60 into this, I guarantee you, mm-hmm. plus another 100 200 in marketing, because this movie was an, a colossal failure. It grossed $38 million. Um, there was production difficulties. Test screenings were fucking horrible. And on August 1st, 1986, they released this piece of shit into the theaters. Uh, it was a critical and commercial failure. Critics fucking hated it. It was nominated for seven Razzie Awards. It only made $15 million domestically. Um, the rest of it came worldwide budget. Uh, but it did gain a cult following amongst fans of the comic book series and fans of weirdo movies. Um, but fuck, man, when you only make uh, it says just made one million under production budget, lies. So when the film was screened for Universal, Katz said that the studio's execs left without commenting on the film. <laughs> uh, and this was from the book. Uh, City of Dreams, The Making and Remaking of Universal Pictures by Bernard F. Dick. Um, and it's crazy. Uh, rumors circulated uh, that Universal production heads Frank Price and Sidney Scheinberg engaged in a fist fight after arguing over who was to blame for greenlighting the picture. Uh, both executives denied the rumors. Uh, news reports speculated that one or more would be fired by MCA chairman Lou Wasserman. Uh, Price then left the studio and was succeeded by Tom Pollock. Uh, the 1986, September 1986 issue of Variety attributed Price's departure to the failure of this film. He got the golden parachute because they lined up the job, uh, his next job for him, before he even was fired. He did not even approve uh, the film's production, though. Um, it was Cindy Scheinberg. So, hence the fist fight. Following the film's failure, uh, the husband and wife team of Hook and Katz left for Hawaii and refused to read reviews of the film. Uh, in 2014, the Los Angeles Times listed it as one of the costliest box office flops of all time. This stinking pile of Marvel shit that George Lucas thought he put so much money into creation of that goddamn Howard the Duck robot. <laughs> it's kind of like it was an excuse just to make the robot. Yeah, and this, amongst other things, were reasons why Lucas had to sell a little company called Pixar to his friend Steve Jobs when he came to visit Lucasfilms. He, he said, what are you working on? And he showed him early versions of Pixar and uh, he he said he's he said that's amazing. He's like oh, I'm looking to sell it, and he sold Pixar to uh, Steve Jobs. I hope George is doing all right now. <laughs> yeah, all right. Is he hurting? Yeah, a little bit, but in the '80s he was '86 particularly. Mm. Then he just re-released all the Star Wars movies with special effects in it and all those toys again, which he still owned the rights to. Mm-hmm. Remember all those Star Wars toys that came out in the nineties? Jesus yep. fucking Christ! It was the biggest thing, and out of the blue too, for mm-hmm. no reason. 
There's no other Star Wars movie out. It was all of a sudden like, hey, Star Wars. Like, all right, I'm in. You need to fill the coffers. Movie. Yeah. Oh man, I Kenner and had all my money. It was Has it was Kenner branding, but it was Hasbro at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, hey, how do we make money off this property from Kenner? Re-release all this shit. All right. Mm-hmm. But Howard the Duck, spectacular box office bomb. It's yeah. I would would that be like the Mount Rushmore of them? It would be. I mean, it's not it's not the biggest loss, but it's it, a colossal failure. Yeah, that's yeah, not even like failure. yeah yeah that's 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 up there. Yeah, I think I think Battlefield Earth, which I don't think either of us picked, is the no. It was on my it was on my short list, believe it or not. Uh, yeah, I figured I figured every movie we brought up would be on your quote short list. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is Google box office bombs in the eighties and nineties, print it out. And those are that squeezes short list. Yeah, well, yeah. Battlefield Earth though might be the biggest bomb of all of them. But, but my 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 criteria was that I had to have enjoyed it. That's that's what made it. Uh, that's that's what made this a little different. I didn't want to just come out shitting on movies and be mean. Uh, I wanted to take a different defensive posture with this show. So. Yeah, I would say the same goes for me. Um, I, I still like Labyrinth. I like Follow That Bird. The the mm. last pick of mine I didn't enjoy, but it's the only time I think we're going to be able to talk about it. So, ah, it's okay. I I picked all movies I've seen. Mm -hmm. I never saw Battlefield Earth, but Battlefield Earth had a seventy three million dollar budget and made twenty nine point seven million dollars. And and that's production, like yeah. marketing wise, like that that movie was everywhere. Right. That's what happens when uh, you take uh, what the fuck's his name? Come after us. No, I'll say I don't give a flying fuck to come after me. The Scientologist, L. Ron Hubbard's book, and John Travolta decides to make in a movie some weird, uh, dreadlocked, cultural appropriated. Dude, if that's the religion, I'm in. <laughs> uh, it kind of is. Didn't huh. you see that Star? Uh, I'm sorry, South Park when they went over the religion. Yes. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It kind of is just that. Yeah. Um, all right. So that is my here is Squeezer's next box office bomb. Old soldiers never die, especially if they can do this. I'm going to kill them all. You. Please. Kurt Russell, Soldier. Starts Friday, October. Ah, uh, this was a disaster. Uh, and sadly, because I, I think it could have been much more. And to be fair, also a little backstory here. Um, we're not straying that far from Blade Runner. This was written uh, by David Peoples, who wrote the original Blade Runner. He wrote Soldier. So this movie came out in 1998. He wrote the script for this while Blade Runner was in production in 1982 and finished in 83. This, this script sat 
and moved around and got tossed around for 15 years before it got made. So hopes weren't exactly high. Hmm. Um, at the same time, Kurt Russell is flying high. He even admitted, he's like, he finally, at that point, realized he was on, like, the money train. He's like, well, I'm not just making money on this. Like, I can really cash in now. And so there's a script going around. He signed on to it. Uh, Paul W.S. Anderson uh, jumped on board. Ooh. Um, yeah. So uh, Mortal Kombat, Resident picture. Evil. Uh, what was it? Uh, Event Horizon. That was also a bomb. I don't even uh, know hit... this movie, dude. I've never seen it. What's that? Event Horizon? No, Soldier. Oh, Soldier? Um, it Soldier! So much more. So there are some production problems that come with it. First of all, it's got a $60 million budget, which was actually cut. It had a higher budget initially. And uh, Anderson had all these big plans, and he wanted to make it more like a Western. Um, but like in big epic scope, kind of like you know just real like days of heaven look like just big in scale and they they started developing it and kurt russell though wanted to get in shape for it but he didn't want to use steroids so more power to him he worked out for like a year and a half four hours every day no other movies just working out like a beast just getting jacked naturally should just taken the damn steroids okay and then this little storm called El Nino hits, which is Spanish for the Nino, and basically crushes the filming schedule. Everything gets condensed. They have to shoot everything in back lot and on soundstage now. And so the whole scope scale of everything just gets changed into this futuristic soldier movie. Mm-hmm. What's cool about this movie is it's actually a spin-off slash semi-sequel to Blade Runner. Really? Yes. Yeah. So this is actually pretty cool. He, um, so the story goes that, uh, Kurt Russell taken as a child, uh, they take these orphans and they put these children, like little children, like, you know, boys, young boys. It's very like Spartan esque, like to the test. And like they fight and like will kill each other at age eight until they progress and they just, brutalize these children until they're adults and turn them into super soldiers. Um, and what happens is, uh, and they're absolute killing machines just going around. And they even show there's, um, in the script, like they mention the same battles um, that Rutger Auer mentions in his speech, in his little monologue before he dies at the end of Blade Runner. Those are all listed in his like that like so Kurt Russell Todd in the movie his name's Todd mm. um he fought there. there there's easter eggs throughout this whole movie there's also a spinner police car like in the junkyard that he gets dumped in um there's also the spaceship from Event Horizon a whole bunch of other stuff but the, the easter eggs all over this movie but it is tied in and uh David Peoples who wrote the script even said yes this is in that world that if Kurt Russell's character were to go to Earth, he could have run into Decker. Um, and the idea was, too, that... So what happens is they get replaced by these new advanced soldiers that were created 
not just um, trained like he was. They don't specifically say it in this movie, mm-hmm. but the idea is that these were next because it takes place in 2036. These were Nexus Nine replicants, just like Rutger Hauer was a Nexus Six. These are the Nexus Nines. The same Nexus Nines were in the recent Blade Runner. So that they were, these soldiers were replaced by replicants, and they they kill off his squad and stuff, and and he ends up battling them to protect this little village of people that take him in and protect him, and it becomes a very, <clears throat> like Anderson said, he wanted to create Shane in space. And that's Hold the on, idea Squeezer, can I quick yeah. do a Vince McMahon impression to wake up everybody you put asleep? What? <laughs> this is as exciting as Blade Runner can get. You you've gone full MacGyver on explaining this. <laughs> Sorry, well, I, when I start talking replicants. <laughs> I'm like, what is he talking about? I'm just saying, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, so I'll, I'll just go with my um, my note here. Also, like Blade Runner, and my, my droning, it's also a very niche film. Well, my note for my last picture, you're going to die. I only have one line. So I don't have a lot to say about my next pick, but continue. Sorry, I didn't um, mean to, to, to slow you down there. It was it. Well, <laughs> um. So it it this thing. Let me see where my second movie. Oh yeah. All right. So now we'll we'll get to the numbers. So it's a sixty million dollar feature. This was going to be Kurt Russell's big cash in. So he he was paid reasonably well throughout. But finally, you get the you know cash in, and you get that giant massive payday. Kurt Russell made $20 million on this movie. One-third of the entire budget went to Kurt Russell. Good for him. Yeah. Um, I think there – and he even admitted, he's like, I was on this train, this lottery ride, and you're cashing in, you're cashing in. And he was like, and that ride ended with a little movie you never saw called Soldier. And, yeah, this is where this is where it – like, he's – it really, like, he hit the brakes on his career after this. Because it would be another three years before he'd make another movie, and he would make 3,000 Miles to Graceland with the great uh, <clears throat> Kevin Costner. I actually liked that movie. Mm. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and then he made Vanilla Sky. You know, so, he, he, and then, you know, and then he, you know, Death Proof and Hateful Eight. Guardians of the Galaxy. So he's doing all right now. He got that Christmas movie that you see all over Netflix all Christmas long. Those are awesome. The Santa yeah. Claus Chronicles. Oh, uh, you watched it? Both of there's two of them. Oh. There's Good. one 2 years ago and there's one this year and they're great. Um so it 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 was such a bomb. It was such a loss that um when Warner Brothers went to go sell it like just to get rid of the rights and for broadcast, they just they sold the broadcast rights to Fox, but they had to package it with the Matrix. It's like, dude, you guys can buy the Matrix to broadcast, but you have to take this movie with it. It's pretty much how they wrote off some of the expense, I would guess. Um, so it opened October 23rd of 98. Not exactly the best time to release the movie either. Cost $60 million, Box office it brought in... Fourteen point six overall opening weekend, it made six million. Um, problem was after. Let me see. Did it? Where is this? I have a little. I 
can't read my own notes. Where the hell is it? Oh, in its second week, it dropped, and in its second week was beat by Rush Hour, which was in its seventh week. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. So, it word. I think that, that's one of those things. When a movie drops that quickly after the first week, that's because word spreads. Rush I Hour is a fine this, picture. I don't think this movie's that bad. I really don't. Like, they, they cut a lot out, and they really had to trim down a lot of, like, the big scope of it. I think, one, this movie could have been much more uh, had things worked out better production-wise. Mm-hmm. So I will give them that excuse. But uh, I, I really feel it's not as bad as people played out to be. They're like, well, Kurt Russell barely talks in the movie. Well, that's the point. He's like a mute kid. He's... Uh, He's got PTSD, he's traumatized, and then he gets some cool guns and gets in a sick fight scene. The one thing I will give Paul W.S. Anderson is I love the way he shoots a fight scene. Same thing like Mortal Kombat, and he does it in Resident Evil. His shots are steady. I can see what the hell is going on. If there's one thing that you can give him credit for, it's that. is that he can shoot a movie where you see what the hell is taking place. I don't get motion sickness watching this. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's the the bastard stepchild of the Blade Runner franchise. But, again, when they get to Thanksgiving dinner, they all get together and can bitch and moan that people just don't understand them. Yes. Well, moving on, I'm afraid, because I only have a few things to say about my next pick, but I'm worried about you getting your last pick. It's not going to be as long as the movie. Relax. <laughs> okay. All right, here is my last pick. We found it. We're closing in on the life form. An ancient truth. Dr. Ross has opened the door for us. An eternal mystery. I don't see how any living thing could survive out here. An experience unlike any you've ever seen. Oh, my God. This summer. What is that? Look out! Fire Discover the ultimate power. Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, rated PG-13, opens everywhere Wednesday. So, um, I saw this, it, this was released on, oh, it, did I have you up? there you go, July 11th, 2001, uh, but I, it said everywhere Wednesday, because I, I remember July 11th, 2001, I was up in, back in New York. And because my it was Fleet Week, and my friend Matt, who was at Naval Academy, mm-hmm. I had a seaman in town, so I had to show him the town. And I still have my ticket from that day. We are on top of the World Trade Center, two months before it would no longer exist Eesh. to the day. <laughs> um, so we did like all the touristy things. We ate at a Hooters, which I could barely afford at that time. Uh, we just, we went everywhere in town, um, all my spots that were cheap to drink really cheap. But I think the night before, two nights before my girlfriend and I at the time went to see this at the Leah Valley cinema mall, because I remember being like my, here are my notes for this movie. Let me pull it up here. This movie is crap. It's all I wrote. (laughs) (laughs) It was a budget of $137 million. Grossed 85.1. Hironobi Shakaguchi directed this picture. Uh, 
they used a bunch of big names to voice over. It was, you know, made in Japan and um, brought over here. Final man, it looks like a bunch of cutscenes from a Final Fantasy game. Yeah. This the uncanny valley of this, the act, the, like that. So we're leaving, and it, it, so it's got Alec Baldwin, James Woods, Donald Sutherland, Ving Rhames, Steve Buscemi, amongst others, like doing the voices. And the creep, one of the creepiest things about it is uh, Aki Ross, the character, and it was on Maxim's Hot 100 list, and they've had a picture rendered out of her in a bikini. Super guys are just super creepy. <laughs> um, but so I remember we we're leaving through the mall parking lot up at the top to to go left on MacArthur Road to get onto Twenty Two. And we're talking about, I'm like, ah, oh, the acting's just so bad. She's like, she didn't understand what I was talking about. And I'm like, she's like, yeah, but it's anime. What can I do? I go, have you seen Toy Story? <laughs> <laughs> Where they can convey emotion through animation? And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, and this movie was complete dog shit. It got a 45% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which I don't get. But uh, they said the critical consensus is the movie raises the bar for computer animated movies, but the story is dull and emotionally removed. Yes. Yes, it is. And you can't say it's because they dubbed it was a Japanese movie that they dubbed over in English because I've seen Studio Ghibli pictures and those hit you so fucking hard and they're so heavy and deep that like it doesn't matter that they're redubbed in English. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert fucking loved this movie. I think that's why I wanted to see it. That's why I made Susan go see it with me. He gave hmm. it three and a half stars out of four, praising it as a technical milestone while conceding that it's nuts and bolts lacked the intelligence and daring of say Steven Spielberg's AI, which I fucking hated also, which I also <laughs> saw with her at the Carmike 16 over by our building. He noted that while he did not once feel convinced Aki Ross was an actual human being, she was lifelike, stating her creators dare to and us to admire their craft. Yeah, hated this movie. Never once I saw it in the theater, and when I left, I was like, "What? That's fucking awful!" And uh, never watched it again. What did it bring in? It worldwide, it brought in. Eighty-five point one million off a hundred thirty-seven budget. Oof. Yeah. Um. Thirty million spent on marketing by Columbia Pictures. Well, and that's just marketing in the U.S. Yeah, forty-five million alone was spent on the construction of Square Studio in Hawaii. Oh, so they built the entire production studio to... Well, yeah, I guess. You yeah. don't really have the facilities to make something like this, right? Yeah, Sitting Columbia around. Pictures put it out. That makes sense because Sony at the time got the exclusive rights to Final Fantasy games. 7 and 8 was coming out for mm-hmm. for uh, PlayStation 2 right around this time. Yeah. Here's why the near-lifelike appearance of characters in the film was well-received. Some commentators felt the characters' renderings fell into the trap that many robotic scientists refer to as the uncanny valley. This concept describes when a robot or anime character becomes very realistic, 
but subtly different enough from reality to feel creepy. That's how I felt through this whole movie. <laughs> um, it's it's in 2006, Boston.com regarded it as the fourth biggest box office bomb, estimating the film losses at the end of its cinema run at over 94 million dollars. Holy shit! In March 2012, CNBC considered it to be the ninth biggest box office bomb. The Times list of the ten biggest box office failures, which was released on the same day, did not include that list. I wonder what Times list of the ten biggest box office failures. This was back in 2012. Let me see if I can find it. What they considered. Time magazine. Well, here's the here's the CNBC article. CNBC says John Carter, Geely. Uh, John Carter was uh, 184. It made 184 million globally, but it was a 200 million operating loss of 200 million dollars. Jesus Christ, Geely, that movie was just. It cost seventy four million. It lost seventy seven million, and that was all just paychecks. Mm-hmm. Uh, the soldiers on the list. They think it lost inflation adjusted seventy eight million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Red Planet lost mm-hmm. eighty two million. Inflation adjusted. Was that Val Kilmer? Yes. Yes. I'll skip the next one because you're talking about it next. Ooh, nice, thanks. Treasure Planet lost eighty-three million. Did what year was that? Two thousand two. Yeah, see, that movie would be made for a fraction of that now. You know, because yeah. the tech is here. Yep. You know what Incon is? I N C H O N. Nineteen eighty-two Korean War epic. Lost uh, $89 million. <laughs> Number nine, Final Fantasy Spirits Within. Lost $99 million. Number eight is Heaven's Gate. Lost $104 million. Number seven is Speed Racer. Lost $106 million. Jesus Christ. What's Town and Country? 2001. It's a car. Ensemble and cat comedy starring Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, and Gary Shandling. How did this movie cost a hundred? How did an ensemble co- uh, comedy that had no CGI cost a hundred and five million dollars? Who's the cast? Warren Beatty, Goldie Hawn, Diane Keaton, mm-hmm. and Gary Shandling. Yeah, it yeah. lost a hundred. That's all paychecks. Everyone's they're cashing in. So Beatty demanded a huge number of takes for each scene. The script was still being rewritten as the movie was shooting. Shandling and Keating both had to leave to, sh- to shoot before it was finished in order to do other things. Oh wait, did Warren Beatty direct this too? Yes. The Thirteenth Warrior, which is based on Michael Crichton's Eaters of the Dead, lost. That was 100... on my. 
on my short list. Lost and short list to defend as well, because I do like that movie, believe it or not. Yeah, I like it too. It, it's really good, I think. Yeah. It lost $125 million. Crichton loves it. How? It was... It, they, just, they turned out... They just shot in the dark. It cost $160 million to make it. Sahara. A 2005 flop with Matthew McConaughey and Pen- Penelope Cruz. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Lost $133 million. The Adventures of Pluto Nash in 2002 lost $134 million. That 120 of that was Eddie Murphy's. Probably. It earned $7.1 million against $121 million cost. Wow. Yeah. Number two is the Alamo. Lost $134 million. That was that Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. Even I didn't go see that, and I like that shit. It made $26 million off a $145 million budget. Jesus. And number one is Cutthroat Island. It lost $146.9 million. How do you lose that much money? It, the movie cost $115 million to make, and it only made $10 million worldwide gross. I don't wow. even know this movie. It's, it's, it's in the Guinness Book of World Records for the biggest financial disaster in all movie history. <laughs> Cutthroat Island? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Starring Gina Davis and directed by her husband, Rennie Harlan, the feminist pirate movie was poorly reviewed with multiple critics suggesting that the involved in making it should walk the plank when all was said and done the movie lost over a hundred million one and a half million and one it it made it lost 146 million dollars jesus christ unprecedented amount that bankrupted the studio that made it carla carl cloper pictures so there was a lot we left out we i didn't i didn't even know about cutthroat island no Matthew Modine, Frank Langella. Oh, man. Guinness Pick of World Records. You can't argue with that. Caraloka. Let's see if I know any of these. Caraloco. Oh, they did first. They did the Rambo movies. Mm. That's where I know that. That's where I know that logo from. Field of Dreams. They got oh, all that money from those the, movies uh, and then they lost did the, it. They did The Wizard. Oh, well, there it is. Total Recall. So there, there must have been a distribution deal with Fox because most of these movies were distributed by Fox. Oh, that's right. They also did Terminator. Uh, yeah, ter- well, no, Terminator 2. Holy so, shit, yeah. So, so they Total lost recall. all the money they made on those movies. They lost it all. Universal Soldier. They actually had Cliffhanger. They had some decent movies. Wagons East. Yeah, big picture. Stargate. The Last of the Dogmen. Oh, look at this. And then the last two movies that uh, that they put out. Showgirls. Cutthroat Island. <laughs> That'll do it. And then they were done. But they, they go Cliffhanger, Wagons East, which, yeah, I know it. I think that might have bombed too, but, I mean, come on. It's got John Candy. Uh, it was his last. No, it wasn't his Stargate. last. Stargate. The hell's last of the Dogman? I don't know. Oh, some Western event that lost money. 
Tom, oh, it's a Tom Berenger movie. I lost money. All right, so yeah, last of it, they they come out with Stargate, which makes them a fortune. They made a hundred million dollars on Stargate, and then yeah, last of Dogman, Showgirls, and they uh, Cutthroat Island. Uh, Just to point out, back to dumb. back to my original movie. You know, it was showing at the Carmike sixteen locally when Final Fantasy came out. This was the lineup: Final Fantasy, AI, Cats and Dogs, Scary Movie Two. Fast and the Furious, Baby Boy, Crazy Beautiful, Dr. Doolittle, Pearl Harbor, Atlantis, Shrek, Tomb Raider, and Kiss of the Dragon. So, hmm. you really didn't have much choice. <laughs> no. The Tomb Raider movie was awful. I'll go watch Shrek again. Yeah, Shrek is probably the best out of that, that group. All right, Squeezer, the movie I left off that list, and your final pick... I hope Ooh, you don't go full ball, MacGyver please. on us because it's getting late. That's three hours of MacGyver in here. Here's Squeezer's last pick. The year is 2013. The United States doesn't exist! No law. You are nothing but a drifter who found a bag of mail. No future. One man delivers a message. I challenge the leadership of the clan. Inspires a nation and begins a revolution. You want a war? From the Academy Award-winning director of Dances with Wolves, Kevin Costner, The Postman. Rated R. Starts Thursday, December 25th. <laughs> you found a bag of mail. That The trailer <laughs> sounds awful. Um... Yeah, uh, sadly, uh, David Brin, who wrote the book, um, disowned the movie. Very, uh, he had very high hopes uh, for how it would be portrayed. I don't know if this is what he had in mind. Um, so this is Kevin Costner at his most Kevin Costner. So it's like he took Waterworld and just doubled down. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie cost eighty million dollars to make. Uh, let's see. Here we are. It, at its three-hour running time, uh, it debuted at number six, making $1.5 million uh, opening day. Uh, and number, what it lost that week to, so it debuted that week. It lost to Titanic in its seventh week. Titanic brought in $9.8 million in its seventh week. Hmm. They probably blame Titanic. Not that their movie was a piece of shit. Maybe, but it was also beat by Mouse Hunt at number five with $1.9 million in its third week. Now, instead of telling us what the hell this stupid movie's about, tell us why you like it. Um, I, I, cause I, I like my post-apocalyptic kind of stuff. I don't, not necessarily like, it doesn't always have to be zombies end of the world, but I do like the sense of decay and, uh, collapse. I find that entertaining. Um, which, why I just love turning on the news. It's like living in a movie. Hmm. Um, and I also like a good Western. Well, this is a bad Western, but... You put the two together, and it's kind of like film noir and hard sci-fi. I kind of get two of my genres that I like and kind of mush them together. Um, 
look, I just, I suspend the disbelief that it's a bad movie and just entertain myself. It's kind of like watching a video game with a lot of cutscenes. Um, Hold on. There's a line on a, I am the, no, a Wikipedia here that I just need you to clarify in the plot. Uh-huh. The postman also meets spouses Abby and Michael fulfilling their clinical request to impregnate her. Does he fuck this guy's wife? Yeah. Really? It's it's weird. <laughs> um, this movie's kind of weird. Uh, he's all, he's a con man throughout spoilers throughout the whole thing. Like he's not a good guy, but then people buy into his shtick and also become postmen. And the so the ideas behind the the movie are like that institutions and these symbols and ideas of the past are important, but they're not just important for what they are, but they're important because of the symbolism and that you have to like support them for them to be important. Like if you're a postman, it doesn't mean anything unless you have the support and respect of like the community that you serve. Um, and uh, that's where they're trying to go with it. Problem is trying to squeeze that. I mean, maybe you could squeeze that into a three hour movie. Uh, it, it shouldn't have been a three hour movie. The uh, studio was fighting with him constantly, and the tests were coming back very poor. Like, this movie's way too long. This sucks. Please cut it down. And Costner would not budge. I don't know who he had pictures of, um, but he would just keep going back just like the trailer. Dude, dances wolves. Dances wolves. Got to, you know, come with, me and, come with me on this. At no point did any other executive go, you know what? Remember Waterworld? No yeah, right. to think that. Remember Waterworld? Have we not learned our lesson? But Waterworld was a good movie, actually. It was just a disaster. It wasn't a bad movie. Yeah, it's, well, yeah. Per, uh, I mean, it wasn't... Gr- I just read the plot on Wikipedia. This seems like the biggest stinking pile of trash. Here's the other... Here's the other with, that trailer with was even Postman. awful. Yeah, it's awful. Uh, but all trailers are awful. It, it's very pretentious. It's very full of itself. It has no sense of humor whatsoever. It treats you like a dummy that it is teaching you a lesson that this is going to be <clears throat> their Amistad. Uh, Jane Siskel referred to it as Dances with Myself. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is very full of itself. Um, this movie... Uh, was nominated for five, not nominated, one, five Golden Raspberries. Hmm. Uh, this is where Kevin Costner beat Shaq. Going back to our, my first pick, Shaq lost the Golden Raspberry to Kevin Costner um, for both acting, directing, and best picture. It also won a Golden Raspberry for screenwriting and for, and for score. The critic consensus on Ron Tomatoes is a massive miscalculation and self-mythologizing mythologizing by director and star Kevin Costner. The Postman would make a goofy for a goofy good time if it weren't so fatally self-serious. Yeah, that's its problem. I take it for what it is, but it's also got Tom Petty. So yeah, I saw that he's uh, 
He plays himself. Plays Lucky. Actually. <laughs> well, he, he plays himself, actually. Because this only takes place in, like, I think 2013, like, 2020. Like, it takes place, like, now. Um, and when he runs into him, like, Kevin Costner kind of recognizes him. He's like, I remember you. You used to be famous. He's like, yeah. And now he's, like, the mayor of this little town. Remember so they you? don't say he's Tom Petty, but he's actually Tom Petty and becomes, like, the mayor of this little town. So that right there is worth the three-hour wait just for that scene. Well, there um, you have it. <clears throat> I, uh, I I haven't given it... I haven't watched it in a long, long time. Uh, I kind of want to give it a shot, but I'll say that now and then I'll forget and just not get to it, thankfully. Um, but yeah, it was a massive bomb. It was... And it, it released on Christmas Day. And the problem is, like, Christmas movies are big. But are you going to go to a three-hour movie on Christmas Day? I did. Oh, I went to Wolf of Wall Street. That was a fucking awesome three-hour movie. Yeah, yeah, but that's amazing. Yeah. This wasn't. And I, I honestly believe a lot of the box office has to do with the uh, Waterworld payback. Like, uh, Backlash. Because Waterworld bombed, people knew the story behind it, what happened, and like, well, I'm not going to get sucked into that again. I'm not going to get sucked into a three-hour Waterworld on land. Yeah, well, I mean, it, this trailer was awful, so, it, yeah. And to be fair, most trailers are god-awful, especially at this time. And it was probably around this time where they started turning around. A little bit. Mid-90s when it started getting better. Independence Day is when they're like, oh, shit, we know how to do this now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, we said a lot. Yeah. I don't know if it was good, but right. we said a lot. We talked. We, we were focused for that fuck who said we, we weren't were. focused. We were. Yeah, take that. We read our notes. Because even when we rambled, we rambled about box office bombing. So, yeah. we yeah. actually stayed on. And I didn't even. Not even specific. I'm just not trying to make him happy. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It was. It's an easy topic for us to just stick to. Yeah, because... Normally, if we're talking about something else, we would fall into something like this. Right. So. We just fell into more box office bombs. Yeah. We... What are we talking next week? It's Snow Day? Snow, snow Days Day? 2. And snow then it's two? Then it's uh, Super Bowl Commercials 3. And then we're back into some more cool stuff. So we'll be back next Wednesday. Hopefully nothing crazy happens next Wednesday. Uh, and then it's Super Maybe Bowl. Maybe we'll week. go off topic. Bum, off. Bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. And I'll do some. I, I didn't give you any of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, more Rad Years podcast. If you like the show, rate and review us uh, on Apple Podcasts. If you hate it like that idiot, do the same thing. You might Whoa, not. Whoa, not. No, no. Look, he's right. He's right. Sure. Like that <laughs> smart person. <laughs> um, uh, do the same thing. But regardless, show us your love. It helps spread the word of the show. And tune in next week for another episode of the Rad Years Podcast. I'm RK. I'm Squeezer. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.